Father, we pray that you would speak. You know exactly where we are. Truth be told, for some of us, God, it took everything, everything in us just to get ourselves here this morning. And you know our hearts. God, we pray that regardless of how we walked in this morning, maybe even regardless of how we're feeling right now, we pray and ask God that you would open our hearts, that you would open our ears, and that you would open our eyes. That we would see you this morning. That we would see you and encounter you powerfully this morning. We, we know that you're already here. We know that your invitation to us is draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Help us to come with an attitude and a spirit, not of expectation, but of expectancy. We lay aside what we want and what we demand and what we simply come with our hands open, with our hearts open and say, God, whatever you have for me, whatever you have for me. My heart is open. Speak, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, you may know, you may not know. For, 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 uh, for me, I uh, normally plan out kind of the uh, yearly preaching calendar. Um, so I kind of know what I'm going to be preaching about throughout 2018. And then things happen where I have to adjust. And I'm not very good at doing that. I'm one of those people that, you know, like I need like long time to prepare. And so when God, Spirit kind of prompts something in my heart, and I have to scramble and prepare something that week, it stresses me out. Well, it was like that three weeks ago. Some of you know because you were here. We had a series of deaths and losses in our church, and so I had to kind of meditate and think and preach on what it means for our souls to be enlarged as we learn to grieve and lament our loss as well. Um, and powerful things happen that Sunday, which I may share in a bit. But anyway, so that Sunday, I was going to preach the sermon I'm going to preach today. All right? So either, either um, it's, <laughs> it's going to really resonate. You're going to be like, Yes! Or it's three weeks too late. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. The reason why I, I, I felt and since the Lord put this on my heart is because at the beginning of the year, I try and, 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 and communicate something that maybe could anchor us perhaps for the rest of the year. And the thought that came to my mind was this, which is the title for today's sermon, is Grow Up and Mature. Grow Up and Mature. Uh, I came across this quote I thought maybe it would be good to anchor us. It says, you are only young once, but you could be immature forever. You are only young once, but you can be immature. And by the way, today's one of those Sundays where you are tempted, you and I will be tempted to go, ah, I wish so-and-so was here today. Why is she not here today? Why is he not here today? This is, this is one of those Sundays where, where the devil is going to tempt you to do that, but I need you and me to resist that as much as possible and say, Lord, what do you have for me? Amen? Amen. 
okay? See, here's the thing that you and I need to know as we begin this year. That is, when we are called to God, we are called to transformation. When we are called to God, make no mistake about it, we are called to transformation. The Bible makes this astonishing, compelling claim. And that is, when we are called by God, that there is a work of transformation that God wants to do in us transformation of the human soul is possible. It's never easy, and it's rarely quick, but it's possible. And the Bible, if you would pay attention, is filled. It's filled with exhortation to grow, to grow, to grow. Really quick, let me just read real fast some passages for you just to give you a taste. 2 Corinthians 10.15, our hope is that your faith continues to grow. Colossians 1.10, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the calling and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and right? so because your faith is growing more and more and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing second peter 3:18 but grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be the glory now and forever and the question that you and i need to ask this morning is are you growing let me be really clear i'm not asking are you busy good lord how did Christianity get to a place where we equate busyness with maturity? I'm not even asking, are you active? I'm not even asking you and me, are you serving in ministry or serving in some capacity? I'm asking, are you growing? Or let me put it this way. Are you bearing fruit? Or let me put it this way. Are you more humble, more gentle, more kind, more self-aware, more loving this time than you were a year ago? Is your love for God growing? Is your love for other people growing? The question I want to ask you is, are you growing? Not busy, not active, not doing a lot of stuff. Are you growing? Am I growing? Dallas Willard, I think he's the one that said, this desperate need for today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep People. Now, here's the thing, though. You and I both know to grow a maturing life in Christ is not inevitable, is it? No one drifts into maturity. Listen, are you in a relationship? No one drifts into intimacy. People drift apart. No one will drift into holiness, righteousness, depth of love. That requires work. That requires what I'll call grace-driven effort. Grace isn't opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Don't get it twisted. It requires grace-driven hard work to grow and mature in Christ. In Ephesians 4, Paul lays out for us, and it's a familiar passage. We've, we, we spent some time on it, spiritual gifts last fall. Paul actually outlines at the heart of it keys to growth. Can I just ask you, I, I threw up that question and you thought I was asking rhetorically, or, or are you growing? Uh, maybe I asked a different way. Do you want to grow? 
Do you want to grow? Do you want to mature? I want to take a hard look at this passage. Ephesians 4, verse 1. And uh, even though we're going to get to the meat of the passage a little bit later, I, I thought, you know, I, I like, I like, just, I, li- I love scripture. So I just want to read some and mention a couple of things before we get to the heart of the matter. Ephesians 4, 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is only one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. When you get saved... You get baptized. You get joined to the body of Christ with others who've also been baptized and joined to the body of Christ. You know what that means? That means for a Christian, water is actually thicker than blood. And I'll say that again. Water is thicker than blood. Let me say that a different way. When you get baptized and joined to the body of Christ, you actually, the Bible says, have a deeper connection with people who've also been baptized and joined to the body than with your own family members who don't believe. Water is thicker than blood. Question is, is that true of you? Do you actually have closer bond and ties with people who look nothing like you because you have been baptized together than you do with your own family. New community is at its best when we do the hard work of building relationships across differences. I see you. New community, it is at its best when we do the hard work of building relationships across differences differences. Can I get an amen? If you are here going, what's this church about? I just told you. New community is at its best when we do the hard work of building relationships across differences. Say, so what is that? Why does it matter? It matters because it's possible to be a Christian apart from the church, like it's possible to be a severed limb to survive without a body. From a New Testament perspective, and Paul mixes metaphors because he's kind of on a rant right here, right? From a New Testament perspective, it's possible for you to be a Lone Ranger solo Christian than it is for, it's like it is possible for a silver limb to survive without the body. In other words, it's impossible. If you belong to Christ, another metaphor, the Bible says you're married to him. Think of how ridiculous it is to say, I want Jesus, but I don't want his body. How ridiculous is it when we go, I want Jesus. I need Jesus, but I don't need the rest of his body. If you're married to him, you get his body. Amen? This is one of the reasons why I just want to, it's so critical to gather weekly as the people of God. When we gather corporately, it's not about checking some box. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're actually here, okay? It's not checking some, some box that says, I fulfill my religious duty by going to church. You and I need to be reminded once a week at least that we are a people of God, not individuals. You and I need to be reminded constantly that we are a people. Jesus saves a people, not just individuals. So, again, I'm preaching to the choir, and I just want to say, give me a minute, talk to the parents here this morning. What are you modeling to your children about this? If you take the church lightly, your kids will take the church lightly. 
What do we communicate? Again, I'm preaching to the choir because you're already here. And I know you're going to be like, so-and-so needs to hear it. They're not here. I just want to talk to you. What do we communicate when attending corporate worship is optional and school activities are not? What do we communicate when a little one goes, I don't want to go to church. And you go, all right. You and I don't do that when they get up and go, I don't want to go to school. Well, okay. What do we communicate when we decide to sleep in on Sundays? What do we communicate to our children about our identity as the people? The only person that's sitting here going, I don't need to hear that, is if you have a toddler that's six months or less, you get to, you get to sleep in. You can miss church. rest of us. What are we communicating? And we're surprised that we're gener- we have a generation of people that are growing up and going, I don't need the church. We're surprised. And we have a generation growing up and going, I don't, why, is that even, why is that even important? What are we communicating to our children, parents? What do we communicate? And Paul goes on. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And we spent like eight weeks on this. I'm just going to give just some synopsis. The Bible says we're gifted so that we can do kingdom work. And part of the kingdom work is helping build up the body of Christ, which means the spiritual gifts are given for the building of the body, which means, listen, if you're here, if you're here, that means you have a gift to offer to this body or you wouldn't be here. Don't give yourself that much credit. You think you're here just because you want to be here? If you do not have something to offer, God would not have sent you here. Can I get an amen? See, this is the reason why to me, I got to tell you something. The way that I want our people, other people, Christians to find the church is to ask the question, am I called to that place? We don't make the decision consumeristically. I like that. I like that. I don't like that. I, who's, where do you see that in the scriptures? You are called to join local bodies. Why? Because you have a gift to offer to that body to build it up. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. The problem is that all the gifts needed might be here, but not all the gifts are functioning. Not all the gifts are in operation. What would it be like if every single person that came to our church approached this church from not from the perspective of what do you have to offer me, but what do I have to offer you? And Paul goes on in verse 11. So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're going to get into the heart and the meat of today. Paul lists here what I call equipping gifts, equipping gifts. And what are they for? And we're going to go through five of them. The Bible says these equipping gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, these gifts are given. I mean, you have to get through all the prepositions and modifiers. He says they're given so that you could be spiritually mature. Now, here's the thing, guys. And, and, and this hit me like a ton of bricks. When we think of spiritual maturity and growing, most of us think of spiritual practices, right? Scripture, worship, fasting, prayer. But you know what? You know what I saw new in this passage? And this is one of the sermon points today. Spiritual maturity comes not just from spiritual practices. Spiritual maturity comes from spiritual influences. Spiritual maturity 
comes from spiritual influences and voices, and I'll just go through them real quick, in our lives that mature us and grow us. And Paul lists here in Ephesians 4 these five influential voices, and he says God uses a combination of these voices, these influences, to grow you, to mature you. So the thing that you and I need to do this morning for the next few minutes is this. As I go through each one of them, ask yourself, do I have these voices? Do I have these influences in my life? And if I don't, what does that mean? First is an apostle. Apostle. Apostle literally means one who is sent on mission. In other words, he or she, an apostle, is a catalyzer whose mission is tied to expanding the mission of God. So here's a question. Maturity, what voices in your life consistently challenges you and me to think beyond our own little life to the mission of God in the world? What voices or influences in your life challenges you and me to think beyond just us to the mission of God. Who is doing that for you? And who is doing that for me? And I'll get to this. One of the chief marks of immaturity is self-absorption. Is self-centeredness. And by the way, we are the last person to see our self-absorption. We are the last person to see our self-centeredness. We are. And self-absorption can stunt our ability to grow and join God in the mission. So here's a question. Who do you have? What are the voices in your life that challenges you and speaks into you to say, think beyond just you, man, to the mission of God in the world? Second is a prophet. A prophet is somebody who represents God and bringing to bear what people have forgotten or neglected to the point of distorting the heart and truth of God. And I'll say the following things. There are some people today who claim to be prophetic, but they're not. They just co-opt the term as a cover for being opinionated without any concern for relational damage. If you are somebody that says, I'm prophetic, and all you are is opinionated, and you could care less about the relational damage you're causing, I'm going to ask you to sit down. Do you know what a prophet is? It's Nathan with David. They know how to get to the heart of the matter in the most tender and yet firm way. How does Nathan get to David and his sin with Bathsheba? What does he do? He tells this beautiful story of someone who steals a lamb, and David is cut to the heart. Here's a question. Do you want to grow? What voices, what influences in your life help you confront the hard things, the uncomfortable things, things that you'd rather not face or even acknowledge? Think with me. Who are the people in your life, my life, that is bringing a voice that forces you and me to confront the hard things, the challenging things, yes, the uncomfortable things. And if, as I go, by the way, there's three more left, okay? If the first two, you're like, I want it, I want it, you're going to stay immature forever. Do you want to grow? Do you want to grow? Third is an evangelist. Evangelist is a person 
who's passionate about people coming alive in Christ. Evangelists are people who help feel a burden, help us feel a burden for the spiritual condition of people who don't know Jesus. Can I just say this? For some of us, we spend all of our time, all of our time with people who are walking in the same direction as those who know Jesus. Listen, if you and I claim to know Jesus but show absolutely no interest in people who don't know Jesus, then those very same people will think that Jesus is not interested in them. So here's a question for you and me. Do you have people influences who keep your heart tender towards those who don't know Jesus and could spend eternity apart from God? Do you have voices in your life, influences, who keeps your heart tender to think about people, to build relationships with people who don't know Jesus? Or are you spending 24-7 people walking in the same direction? Do you know why we do what we do on Sundays? Do you, do you ever think about that? Do you know what this is? All we're doing is just creating a space for God's spirit to move so that somebody who's been on a lifelong search for his or her creator could walk in here and encounter God. That's why we do what we do. So everybody who serves on Sundays, I just want to say thank you. From passing bulletins to greeting people, collecting offering, to worship, to singing, to teaching our children, I just want to thank you because you are being used by God to create a space where a soul that's been on a journey to seeking God could encounter him. The next voice is a pastor. Pastor is literally someone who tends the sheep. People with pastoral gifts, guides, protect and cares for the well-being of the flock. Caring for somebody's soul is what they do. And by the way, can I just tell you, some of the most pastoral influences in your life will not come from people like me, but friends and lay leaders. So here's a question for you. Do you have people in your life who care for your soul well? Do you have people in your life who care for your soul well? Fourth voice. And the last is a teacher. The more familiar we become with the heart and wisdom and promises and principles of God, the more we're able to see God at work in us and around the world. And we find that in Scripture, and so we need teachers who rightly handle the word of God to keep us from being deceived, as Paul says, by the whims of the age and to see the hand of God more clearly. So last question for you and me is this. Are you regularly sitting under the teaching of those gifted to open God's word and apply it to your life? Five voices, five influences. Be rigorously honest this morning. Ask yourself, do I have these voices in my life? And if not, why? Why? Do you have apostles who broaden you, prophets who deepen you, evangelists who send you, pastors who care for you, and teachers who anchor you? Do you have these voices in your life? Paul is saying growth, maturity, apart from these voices and influence in your life is not possible. See, this to me is the reason why when I hear somebody and usually it's someone who's a little bit younger who says, I don't need the church. I've got my friends. I go, that's cool. As long as you have amongst your friends apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Are these voices and influences present in your life? Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants. Somebody clap to that? Who clapped to that? Raise your hands. Who clapped to that? Share. Then we, guys, can I just have fun with you this morning? 
Who is saying this? Who is saying then we will no longer be infants? It's Paul who is saying we. He's including himself. We will no longer. Did you ever catch that? We will no longer be. Paul is saying, I need these five voices in my life. This is Paul. If Paul is a toddler, what are you? Excuse me. If Apostle Paul is a toddler, what are you? What, is, what, what am I? We're like an hour old. If that. This is Apostle Paul saying, then we, he is saying, I need these voices. And you think you don't? I don't think I don't. We, he says, this is Apostle Paul. <laughs> Listen, something amazing happens when we become a Christian. When we become a Christian, the triune life of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, comes into our lives. And the result of that, as Paul says, is we become a new creation. I've got news for you. When you become a Christian, you don't become nice. You become new. Can I get an amen? Don't insult Christianity and don't insult yourself. Become a Christian means I just become nicer. No, you become new. There is nothing in your past that can't be overcome. There is nobody in here who can say, I am way too messed up for God to do. He specializes in resurrections. Don't insult yourself. Don't insult Christianity. Christianity isn't about moral reformation. It's about total transformation. Good Lord. We've lowered the bar so low in Christianity. It's about total transformation. Here's the thing, though. When you become a Christian, you don't become a grown-up adult. You're born as a what? A baby. And you're called to what? To grow. Listen to what Paul says. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. What Paul does is he begins to list the characters' traits of babies. He begins to let characters, attributes, have babies. How do you know if you're a spiritual baby? So the rest of my time will be identifying whether you're a baby, I'm a baby, and what we do grow up. It's going to get uncomfortable for like five minutes. How do you know if you're a baby? How do I know if I'm a baby? Number one, if you don't think that you're a baby, you're a baby. I know this is going to be hard for some of you and me. If you don't think you're a baby, you're a baby. You know what the sign of childishness is? Is that you don't realize that you are what? A child. You know what? I've never had this conversation with my seven-year-old Noah. Noah, yes? How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Daddy. You know what I realize? What, Noah? I'm so immature. <laughs> a seven-year-old does not know that he is childish. My 13-year-old son, on the other hand, last night, he's 13 today, Parker, by the way, oldest. Jenny and I are watching baby videos. 
<laughs> I don't know why I'm doing that. I'm not driving anymore. Sorry. I don't know why. I don't know why. I'm not driving. I'm not driving. We're not driving. Watching okay. <clears throat> it's more like this. We're watching videos. Watching videos. And by the way, Jenny and I have a load of things that we're going to bright. You know, what's, I don't know what the word is, but you know what I mean. On his wedding day, we're going to show all of his videos. Silly video. You should have seen Parker. He is cringing. As we're seeing videos when he's two and four and six, the stuff that he says, something he's like, ah, he's cringing the entire time. Do you know why? Here's a sign of someone who is no longer immature. He is able to look back and go, I was so immature. Do you ever say that? When is the last time you thought, I am so stinking immature? When is the last time you thought, man, I think about that. What a fool I was. If you don't think you're a baby, you're probably a baby. Secondly, babies have to be fed. Oh boy. Oh boy. You know how much I hate it when people go, I want to be fed. I'm not getting fed. Can I just say something? Can I just say something? I've said this all along. If you ever go to a church where the pastor goes, my job is to feed you Walk out. Do you know why? Our job is not to feed you. Our job is to teach you to feed yourself. My sermons will not always connect and inspire, as some of you are recognizing this morning. <laughs> My sermons will always be, be like, wow! Do you know why? Some of it is because I'm preaching a bad sermon. Some of it is because you're in sin. You're not doing well. You had a terrible week. Your marriage is in trouble. The list could be 30. But you're sitting there going, I'm not getting fed. It could be a thousand reasons why you don't feel like you're getting fed. If you're depending on this to feed you, you are a baby. Third. <laughs> Should I keep going? I'm serious. Should I keep going? How many of you are like, I'm not a baby? Baby, why is he saying that? <laughs> I'm looking at some of our elder saints, and I'm going, I wonder what these guys, Dan and Wendy and Carl, like, I wonder what they're saying. They're like in their 60s and 70s. I wonder what they're saying. Oh, yes! I'm telling you, man. Okay, third, third, third. Babies, 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 babies are not steady, are not steady. Do you notice what Paul says? Tossed back and forth, blown here and there. In other words, babies have an incredibly short attention span. The only way that you can get babies to pay attention for about 10 seconds, you get something that's bright, that's loud, that's noisy. They go, no, 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 no. For 10 seconds, they'll be like. And then they go, okay, what, what, what else you got? What else you got? What else you got? You know what this means? If you are a Christian who says, I need the mountaintop experiences. If you're a Christian who goes, I need the spiritual high. If you're a Christian who goes, I need the supernatural miraculous, I need, if you're that Christian who says, I need those things to walk with Jesus, you are a baby. Eugene Peterson talks about long obedience in the same direction. Do you know what mature Christians do? They know how to walk in the ordinary, everyday life with steadiness and faithfulness. Mature Christians know how to suffer well. 
Mature Christians don't look for mountaintop experiences, but they seek God in the small glimmers of everyday life. Mature Christians go, that sermon challenged me. I'm going to do something about it, and they actually do something about it. Fourth, babies don't understand the concept of delayed gratification. Do I need to say anything else? Should I just move on? Okay, let me ask you a question. If you're somebody who prays for something on Monday and you're upset because it's not done by Tuesday, you're a baby. Can I ask you a question? How do you do with waiting on God? How many of us are throwing temper tantrums right now? By the way, the word wait, Hebrew, literally, literally, is a descriptive word of rope being twisted. That's what the word wait in Hebrew literally means, meaning waiting on God is supposed to stretch, challenge, twist you into conformity of his son. Two more, I promise, and I'm done. Babies are not discerning. Every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, Paul says, babies can't discern healthy food, junk food, poisonous food. You give them, they'll eat anything. You know what absolutely astonishes me is that I talk to Christians today who say the following. I know that's what the Bible says, but that was written like 2,000 years ago, but we know better. I just want to tell you something. 20 years from now, what you and I think today is enlightening, people will look at and go, how regressive and stupid, just like we're doing with what our parents thought. Do you and I really think that we are the most enlightened generation ever? How arrogant is that? How utterly arrogant is that? Do you realize that your children will make fun of you? Lastly, and I save the last for the best or best for last, best for last. Babies are self-centered. Share your toy. Don't touch other people's food. There are other people in the world besides you. I'm constantly getting my feelings hurt. I'm constantly self What do people think of me? I'm constantly feeling slighted. What do they, if you walk in here and you go, are these the people I want to be with? Are these the people that could kind of boost my self-esteem? Are these the kind of people that help me be? You are a baby. You are a baby. You know what this means? This means two things. Number one, don't be surprised when you go to a church and you see immature people. There's poopy diapers all over the place. Somebody say amen. And I'm talking about, I'm not talking about literal poopy diapers, although we have a lot of that too. If Apostle Paul says I'm an infant, there are a lot of poopy diapers here. So why do you and I walk into a church and go, oh, they're so immature. Oh, they're so immature. Oh, they're so immature. We should not be surprised that there are immature people around us. We are not saved because we're mature. We're saved by grace. But don't you dare put up with immaturity in yourself. 
don't be surprised at the immature people, but don't you dare put up with immaturity in yourself. We do the opposite. We put up with immaturity in ourselves and judge everybody else as immature, which is the sign of being a baby. Come on, guys. So how do we grow? Let's look at verse 15 and 16, and then I'm done. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. How do you grow? Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love as each part does this work. Now, real carefully, Paul says that there is absolutely no growing into spiritual maturity by you working on yourself. There is no spiritual maturity growing by yourself. You will not mature and grow unless Listen, you are plunged into a community of people who are speaking the truth in love to each other. You will not grow. I will never grow unless we have these five voices that are speaking the truth in love into our lives. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Our small group ministry, the first anchor is to grow spiritually, connect relationally, witness boldly, is to grow spiritually. Why is that so important? Hebrews 3.12, I come around this at least once or twice. You've seen me talk about this. See to it, author of Hebrews says, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And this is perfect weather for this illustration. The Bible says, imagine a bucket of water, a bucket of water you put outside on a day like today. In a little bit, you go outside and the top of the bucket of water has been hardened with ice. And the Bible says, your heart and my heart is like that. It's constantly getting hard. When good things happen, it's getting hard because we go, I can do it all. I don't need God. When bad things are happening, it's getting hardened through sadness and despair. And the Bible is saying, that's why you and I constantly need people who will come and chip away at the hardness, chip away at that ice and saying, hey, no, you can't let that hardness form there. Hey, no, I'm right here. Can I just say something? For those of you who are just naturally wired, and you know who you are. Those of you who go, I can't let nobody speak truth. You don't know me. Don't judge me. If, if that's you, if that's you, I just want to say something. Maybe the reason why people come to you is because they've been exactly where you are and they know exactly where you're headed. Maybe the reason why they come to you is because they love you too much, because they've been where you are, and they know where you're headed, and they love you too much to just let you go there. And if you will just put up the defense system and say, I will never listen, then you will never learn. How long are you going to stop yourself from growing because you're shielding behind that self-defense mechanism of you don't know me, nobody speaks truth to me. You, how long are you going to do that? How long are you going to do that? How long are you going to do that? 
One of the worst things you can do is to just blow off everybody because you just are afraid and insecure. Why is speaking truth and love so important? Two reasons, and then I'm done. Because love without truth is deadly. Love without truth is absolutely deadly. There's not a single person in here that is self-aware enough to know what our faults, what our weaknesses are. We are always the last person to see, again, our self-absorption. And if nobody will tell you the truth about you, you'll not have self-knowledge and you'll never grow. You will not become the person God wants you to be. So if you and I are incapable of seeing ourselves as we actually are, how critical that we have outside voices that come in and saying, do you know that about you? Do you know that about you? But love without truth isn't just deadly, you guys. Love without truth is also not loving. It's not loving. It's not loving. It's not loving. Because if you truly love them, you'll give them what they need. Amen? But if because you're insecure, you're afraid, or because you don't want to lose their friendship or their approval or their acceptance, and so because of that, you fear speaking truth to them, you're not loving them. You're loving yourself. You're loving yourself. Love without truth. Love, fuzzy words, and I'll tell you what I want you to hear, and I'll never speak hard truth. That's not love, man. It's not love. But flip side of that, though, truth without love is also deadly. Truth without love is also deadly. How many of you guys here have ever been wronged by somebody? How many of you have ever been hurt by somebody? Every single one of us. So you could maybe relate to this example. The Bible says that our responsibility, our responsibility to people who wrong us is to eventually go to them, if at all possible, to go to them, to get them to see the truth, to do justice, get them to do what's right. That is our call. Why? For the sake of them and the sake of the people they have to live with and the sake of the world. But the Bible says if you're going to do that well, you first have to forgive. And forgiveness is not, listen, dismissing what they did. Forgiveness is not they shouldn't get justice for them. Forgiveness is not, well, they don't need to. No, it means none of those. Forgiveness is just a process in which your anger, your hate, and your self-righteousness is drained out of you. Because here's what I've done. When my anger, self-righteous hatred is not drained out of me, when I go to confront somebody speak truth, I'm not going for them. I'm going for me. I'm not going for them. I could care less if they see truth. I could care less if they get justice. I just want to hurt them. I just want to put them in their place. I just want them to suffer. And as Miroslav Volf says, if you want justice and nothing but justice, you'll get injustice. You also have to have love. If you're going to speak truth to anybody, if you don't have love, if you have not had your self-righteousness, your anger, your bitterness, your pride and arrogance drained out of you, you will not speak truth for their sake. You're going to do it for you and me, and they're going to run in the opposite direction. Here's the problem. How many of us could do this perfectly? Raise your hands if you're mature. Nobody. I didn't think so. None of us. You know why? Because temperamentally, half of you, you are the love without truth kind. I love you. I love you. I love you. I'll never tell you about your sin. I'll never confront you because I love you. Some of us, mm, like yours truly, I love speaking truth. 
What's love? What's love got to do with anything? I just want, all of us here are temperamentally either truth without love kind or love without truth kind. So what do we do? What's our answer? We can't grow without truth and love. See, if you're new to this church, let me end with this. See, you can come on up. If you're new to this church, I'm going to tell you what I always do. Most churches you grew up in, pastor will get up and go, so go out there and speak the truth and love. Let's all pray together. And you sitting out there going, speak the truth and love. But how do I do that, man? I'm the love kind or truth kind. This is why at this time, I will always, this is why I preach long, by the way. This is why I always stop right here and I will tell you about Jesus because you cannot do this without Jesus. I will point you to the cross because you cannot do it without the cross. I will point you to the gospel because you cannot do it without the gospel. Amen? Amen? The only way that you and I can do this to help people grow is to realize the gospel and have it embedded in your heart. What does the gospel say? First, we are more wicked and sinful than we dare believe. If you are incapable of saying to yourself, I am no better than them. I am no smarter than them. I'm not more spiritual than them. Are you kidding me? I am, I am worse than them. Why? Because the gospel has so penetrated your heart. You could genuinely say, I am more wicked and more sinful than I dare believe. That is the only, th- um, the gospel is the only thing. He, he had to do that for you. He had to do that for me because we are so wicked and so sinful. That's the only thing that could drain that self-righteousness, that hatred, that I'm better than you out of us. But then secondly, for the I love, but I don't want to speak truth kind. The Bible says we are more accepted and more loved, though, in Christ at the same time. What's going to give you the courage? What's going to give me the courage to be able to speak truth. It's when we are freed from the need and addiction for their approval, for their affirmation, for their friendship. When we are freed from that and because we love them enough, we could with firmness say, I got to tell you some hard things because at the end of the day, I love you more than I love myself. It's when you are freed by the gospel, from addiction approval, affirmation approval, finding my security in what other people say approval. It is then and only then can you be freed up to be able to say to somebody, I see things in your life because I love you. This may mean our friendship is over. This may mean that you're not going to talk to me. This may mean, but those things no longer fear me from speaking truth because I love you too much. And the boldness and courage that comes when you go, I'm accepted by my Father. The only verdict that matters in the world has already been given. I am hidden with Christ in God. And when God sees me, he sees me as he sees his son, Jesus. That is all I need. Don't need anything else. Do you want to mature? Do you want to grow? I do. I do. Pray with me.